0: Any scholars out there? Martyrs. That's right. Every one of these people were persecuted intensely and eventually were martyred for their connection and their commitment to Jesus Christ. Meaning, they were put to death. Let it be known, these are just ten of many. This is a sampling in church history of the many people who have endured harsh persecution, even leading to their tragic, horrific death, as a result of their commitment and their connection to Jesus Christ. The Christian church has indeed suffered much persecution for the last 2,000 years. One might even argue prior to that, is God's people have suffered much for their connection to the God that they knew, worshiped, and loved. But maybe today we might conclude in 2019 that we've progressed to a tolerant society, and these realities don't really exist for us anymore. It's interesting though, according to Open Door USA, in just the last year, there have been over 245 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. There are 4,305 Christians killed this year for their faith. 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked. 3,150 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Irrelevant for today? I think not. So here we are in the Beatitudes, right? We're talking about these blessings. Really, Jesus is talking about those who are blessed. He's pronouncing blessing on particular people. You ask, what in the world do the Beatitudes have to do with persecution, blessing, approval from God? What does that have to do with persecution what does that have to do with being martyred seems like a massive disconnect bro from blessing especially because we're two days from christmas we're trying to enjoy ourselves a little bit you got to tell us all these statistics about this opposition and pressure and literally the death of those who are committed to and connected to jesus christ how are these things related what do they have to do with each other? And there's one word really for us today. Everything. They have everything to do with each other. Blessing. Persecution. Martyrdom. And so we ask the question again. Who does Jesus say is blessed? Who is living in God's approval? And this is what Jesus says in verse 10. Blessed are those Who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 11. Blessed are you. When others revile you. And persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account. Rejoice. And be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Who does Jesus say is blessed? Rephrasing it to understand it a little bit more. Who does Jesus say is living in the joy of the approval of Almighty God? He says it straight up. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. That's who are blessed. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. He goes on to say in verse uh, 11, Blessed are you who are persecuted on my account. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, those who are persecuted Because of Jesus. Those are the ones that are called blessed by Jesus. So we understand it's not just everyone that's persecuted for any reason whatsoever. Does Jesus say is blessed? No. It's those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Or let me say it a different way. Those who are persecuted because of their connection and their commitment to me. Those who are persecuted because of their relationship to me. Those are the people that are blessed. Those are the people that live in God's approval in all of its joy. And again, we've been talking each week about the shock value of this. Like, of the people that we would assume Jesus would say are blessed, the kinds of people that he says are blessed are like, really? These people? The poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Wait a minute, there's that word again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because of their relationship with me. Once again, we see the connection between righteousness, the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, that we're going to talk about later in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a righteousness that is known only in relationship to Jesus, only known in a pursuit of Conformity to the will of God Jesus Christ That's what Jesus is saying those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hey blessed are they you know why because as they hear and respond to me They live in the assurance that they will as they hunger and thirst be filled they will be satisfied They will be given a new heart and a new hunger that is ever increasing that in ever increasing ways is being filled and satisfied and out of that satisfaction will be a life that is constantly in pursuit of living a life that is in conformity to the will of God let me say it differently man i just want to i want to live in a way that honors god so jesus is saying blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of that righteousness, that personal practice righteousness, that that life that now has a new heart and a new hunger because they've heard and responded to Jesus and now has a new hunger that's a desire that gets lived out in daily actions and decisions. They are now living a life in pursuit of righteousness. In many ways, they're living a life that's characterized and described right here in the Beatitudes. Those are the ones that are blessed. For those who are living in conformity to the will of God, Jesus says, those are blessed, those that are persecuted for that. And then he moves from the general to the personal, right? He says, first, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, he says, Blessed are you. He gets personal. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He moves from the general and he gets specific. Specific he's being personal. He's talking to the disciples. He's looking into their eyes. And he's saying blessed are you. Not just blessed are those, some theory out there. But blessed are you when you're persecuted. When others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. It makes it very personal for the disciples. And what do we mean by this word revile? I think that's important, right? You've got to understand what these words are. Well, revile just means to insult. Blessed are you when you're insulted because of me. Blessed are you when you're shamed. When you're demeaned, when you're harshly criticized, that's what revile is. To shame, demean, to harshly criticize. What does it mean to persecute? Well, persecution actually is to pursue, to run after, to run them out of town. To expel them, to exclude them. When you're persecuted, someone is going after you to get rid of you. It means to pursue someone in the hopes of apprehending him with the intention of either violently abusing him or her, or turning you over to the authorities for prosecution. That's what persecution is. Pursuing someone, apprehending them, seizing them, violently abusing them, turning them over to the, to the, uh, for prosecution. So basically, this is what Jesus is saying to unpackage it a little bit more. Blessed are you who are persecuted. He's saying, blessed are you when you're insulted, shamed, demeaned, and harshly criticized because of me. Blessed are you when you're pursued by someone who desires to apprehend you with the intention of abusing you and turning you over to the authorities for prosecution. You're the one that's blessed. Blessed are you when all kinds of evil, just you stink, man. You're the worst. All kinds of evil are spoken against you And it was all a lie. That's who's blessed. Merry Christmas. (laughs) That's who's blessed. And you look at these words like revile, persecute, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. For the sake of righteousness. If you're thoughtful of all about the story and where it goes, you can't help but remember the very experience of Jesus Christ. These words, revile, persecute, spoken all kinds of evil against you falsely. That's basically Matthew 27, guys. As we'll see in the fall of 2022. That was not in the notes. (laughs) We'll see that. That when Christ came and lived a perfect sinless life. And he embodied righteousness. A life that was in conformity to the will of God. That when he represented the Father in heaven perfectly. Such a distinction was made between his righteousness and the righteousness of the people, especially the super-duper holy people known as the Pharisees. There was a distinction there. We see that the Bible begins to teach that Jesus was reviled. And that Jesus was persecuted harshly. That many words were uttered against him in evil ways, falsely. The Passion narrative reveals that he was pursued, he was arrested, he was reviled, he was cursed, he was mocked, he was spit upon, he was beaten and convicted a criminal. Even though they said, I find no wrongdoing in him. They said, give us Barabbas. We like him better. Get rid of Jesus. Which there is no crime. No reason for punishment. Matthew 27 at the end says this. That those who passed by. During his crucifixion. Derided him. Wagging their heads. So also the chief priests. With the scribes and elders. Mocked him. And the robbers who were crucified with him. Also reviled him. In the same way. Jesus endured such persecution for us in our place. It's at the very nature of what He has done. He was done so because of who He was, what He taught for His righteousness, for His glory that the world hated and wanted nothing to do with it. And so what did they do? They, they pursued Him, they arrested Him, and they dragged Him out of the city, and they publicly shamed Him. And we understand, why would Jesus endure all this? Ah, for the joy set before Him. For the joy set before Him, Hebrews says, He endured the cross, despising its shame. This is what Christ has indeed done for us. He endured for us. And yet at the same time, there's this idea that His disciples, those who follow Him, those who are connected to him, those who are committed to him, who are pursuing him, a righteousness that is representative of him and surpasses the Pharisees, guess what? He shapes an expectation in them that it's not just me for you, it'll be you with me in this. This is an experience that you should expect to happen as you pursue righteousness. Right, for Jesus, perspe- from his perspective, persecution of his disciples is not an if issue, it's a when issue. I think we need to swallow that. Right, verse 11: verse Blessed are you when others revile you, not blessed are you if they revile you. This is not an if issue, persecution, opposition. This is a when issue for you as my disciples. There will be real opposition in the world. And you, as you share in my righteousness, as you pursue my righteousness, as you seek to live a hunger for and then seek to live a life that is in conformity to the will of God, expect persecution, expect opposition. Philippians 1:29 says for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ there it is again on account of me for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake that just comes into conflict with every concept of a prosperity gospel like it just it just pow no don't just believe but expect to suffer. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12, I think, hits an even deader bullseye with what Jesus is saying when Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life for righteousness' sake, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Paul says to Timothy. Will be persecuted. Not if. Not maybe. Will be persecuted. Reviled. Shamed. Pursued. Excluded. Get rid of them. Shut them up. Put an end to them. Don't want to hear it anymore. Not interested in that righteousness. Don't want to hear about it. Don't want to see it. Get rid of them. Lock them up. And yet, we're all sitting here, and this is what I felt all week going, is this really relevant to us in America? A little disconnect? Do we face this? I mean, do we face this blessing? Is this our life? Is this our day to day, nine to five? Are we currently being reviled, persecuted? Shamed, demeaned, spoken against falsely because of our relationship to Jesus, because of our connection to him and commitment, are we currently experiencing that? In many ways, we might actually have to admit no. Right? I mean, to some degree, we praise God, and I think rightly so, for some relative freedoms that we have in the United States of America to express uh, our particular convictions. So, in some ways, we can live with, with freedom and a lack of fear. I think, though, we can be honest to say, to, maybe to a lesser degree than maybe what Jesus is talking about, we do experience forms of persecution, of mockery, of demeaning, of shaming, of silencing, of exclusion. I'll never forget that decisive moment when I went from 8th to ninth grade where I had to make the decision. Who are my peeps? How am I going to live? What is my life pursuit? How would you describe the kind of person that Mike is? Is it going to be like this with these people, friends at school, or these like this with those people, my friends at church? Who was I? And I can remember making a decisive commitment from my 8th to my ninth grade saying, you know what, I can't play both sides of the fence anymore. I have to orient my life either this way or that way. And based on just God's grace to me and His mercy toward me and the movement of the Holy Spirit, for whatever reason, I walked away from this way of living, as immature and clueless as I was and in many ways still am, and chose to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to God's love for me and pursue Him. And I hunger for righteousness and I'm going to pursue a life that conforms to the will of God. And at that moment, all these friends were done. They were done. All these people wanted nothing to do with Mike Mazie. And I felt a very isolated life walking away from that into A life of conformity to the will of God. So, And then the the being made fun of, and the shaming, and the demeaning, and the jokes, and not getting invited to the parties. You understand what I'm talking about? We can be silenced. We can be misrepresented in culture. We can be denied certain accesses, yes, here. But I think we have to humbly admit... And in some ways, praise God for it, there is some lesser degree of this because of the place and context in which we live. But just because we don't experience it, we do. And I'm talking about the global church. That we share this with the global church. That we weep with our brothers and sisters across the globe. The church is so much bigger than Mike Mazie's personal experience. Someone say amen to that. The church is so much bigger than Renovation Church right here in Clay or even the Church of the United States of America that we can enter in and do share in a reality that is so much bigger than us and is far beyond our current experience right now. We stand with, we share in the the burdens and the persecutions and the reviling and the shame of the global and universal church. We have that kind of interconnectivity bigger than me it's not about me and we should pray and weep with the church across the globe we share in it with them and some would say it's very possible that america will find itself face to face with these very things not too far off into the distant future right And our faith will be tested. And it's more and more being tested. Ashamed, reviled, excluded, imprisoned. Maybe they take our building. Take away our tax exempt status. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Amen? It's going to be okay. Jesus is still on the throne. And the promises for the persecuted remain. The promise the persecuted remain. That Jesus is very clear. That those persecuted based on the relationship with Jesus. Are blessed. They're living in God's approval. And now we see why he says such a thing. He says for two reasons. He says those persecuted are called blessed. Because they possess God's kingdom. Blessed are the. I'm sorry verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? They possess the kingdom. Those who are persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's beatitude number 8. That Wait did we hear that before? Do we hear theirs is the kingdom of heaven before? Someone remind me. Verse 3. Yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything in between brings about a future promise. They shall be, they shall be, they shall be. But the first and the eighth, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When when you see that, it it brings it all together like a nice cute package for Christmas. Like the bow is tied. Right? it's, It's an inclusio. That basically, blessed are those that are living all these things out. Guess what? These people, they possess the kingdom. Now... In a very real way. And not in a full way. We haven't experienced the fullness of the kingdom. But we really now possess the kingdom. You following me right now? That's why the persecuted are blessed. Because the persecuted, based on the relationship with Jesus, guess what? They possess the kingdom. Maybe say it a different way. When the king has you, that's Jesus... You have his kingdom. When the king has you. You have his kingdom. Blessed are the persecuted. Because of me. For theirs is the kingdom. Of heaven. Even when no one. In this world. uh, 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 Receives you. Even when everyone. Says you don't belong. They oppose you. They criminalize you. They silence you. Understand this. You are not. Homeless. You are not citizenless. You still have a part and a place now in the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't have it all yet, but you have it. You possess it. When the king has you, you have the kingdom. That's why. But then he goes on to say, rejoice and be glad. He's calling them to respond to persecution with a joy and a gladness. He's telling them that their persecution is blessed because they await eternal reward. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Why would I be happy in the midst of such an experience? Why would I be rejoicing? Why would I be full of gladness? He says, because you have an eternal reward that no one can take away from you. That this current life can't give you right now. Right? That nothing this world offers you could ever compare. You have a great reward that I'm preparing for you in the kingdom of heaven someday. That's why you can rejoice and be glad now in the midst of reviling persecution and deceitful evil words spoken against you because you know me because guess what? You will have a reward in the kingdom of heaven. And it's so hard for us to hear that in a, because we're so consumed with the present, aren't we? We're so uh, consumed with the now. I mean, we're a now culture. So you're telling me to be happy now because of some future reality. How about I just be happy about a present reality can you give me a present reality to be happy about? Because I'm more of a now, in the moment kind of person. I'm been doing mindfulness, and I'm trying to stay in the moment. And forget the future, forget the past, and just live in the moment. Anthony Davis, I don't know if I'm going to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers next year, because I'm living in the moment. That's culture. We do that. I'm being somewhat sarcastic and funny here, but here's the reality. So many of us live with our eyes toward our feet. So many of us live with our eyes toward our feet. What do I got to do now? What's next? So many of us are, are, are so consumed with our feet. We're just staring at our feet. We're so consumed with our moment, our current difficult circumstance. The opposition we face, the suffering we endure, the circumstances that just don't happen to be perfect right now. And so we get so wrapped up in sad and sorrowful. Woe is me, this stinks. My life should be better than it is. And we get sad and sorrowful because we're looking at our feet all the time. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. Say, don't look at your feet, look at your future. Appropriate a current joy because of a future reality. That's so not us today. In our instantaneous now culture. Said if everything is imperfect now, I'm a train wreck. I'm a mess. Pray for me. And please, we should pray for one another. When's the last time you heard somebody say I'm going through a difficult time? Praise Jesus because he's doing a work in me. And he has an eternal reward set In front of me that I know he will give me one day. And that is enough for current joy in my present circumstance. See that's who the disciples are of Jesus. Jesus is looking forward. He knows where his destiny. He knows where he's returning. He knows where he's going. So he can endure. Because he knows the joy set before him. He endures the cross despising its shame. See, that's who we are as the people of God. We're people that live in the hope of a future. The world can't give us that. They can give us new things. They can't give us eternal realities that provide an eternal hope and joy in the presence of God, in His kingdom. In the midst of such opposition and difficulty, Paul writes... So we do not lose heart in 2 Corinthians. Though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen. But to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Adoniram Judson, facing persecution and opposition, hanging upside down in a Burmese prison in the middle part of the 19th century. What does he say hanging upside down? Moments away from his death because the blood is rushing to his brain. He looks at his comrade and he says this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. What did Jim Elliot say? Martyred in the mid Uh, in the the middle part of the 20th century, he says he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Eternal reward. That's why Jesus says that we can rejoice and be glad. That's why Jesus says the persecuted are blessed. Because there is great eternal reward for those who suffer, are persecuted because they know me. Because they pursue me. Because they want a hunger for and live out a life that is in conformity to the will of my Father. They live in the hope of great reward. Not only that, he says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. you see, I, 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 I'm one of these guys, I always just want to belong to something. Like, I want to be a part of something, right? So I went to CrossFit. I, you know why I kept going? Not because it felt good. Because, hey man, we're in this together. You know, I'm, fiddle, I'm finishing middle of the pack but I'm still here. We're a part of this together, right? I just a sense of belonging, and I think there's a wonderful statement that Jesus says that. When, yes, the world is saying you don't belong to us, but look at what Jesus is saying. You're living in the tradition of the prophets, right? We can rejoice and be glad in the face of persecution because it's assurance for us. That we belong to the tradition of the prophets. Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Nathan. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Many of which were rejected. Many of which were, were, were uh, jailed. Many of which were cast aside by people who said, you know what, we don't really appreciate your message. We don't really appreciate your lifestyle. We don't really appreciate the righteousness that you are conveying to us. We want to live a different way. He said, when people persecute you and revile you, guess what? It's just assurance that you're entering the tradition of the prophets. And maybe even a deeper way, as Jesus now is the prophet. You have participation with me. So many people have found, and rightly so, joy in the midst of such experiences because they share this suffering they shared this shaming. They shared this uh, persecution. They shared this rejection with no one less than Jesus Christ Himself. Right, as Paul says in Philippians chapter three. Listen, I just look at—I had a resume of religious perfection. If anybody was awesome, it was me. But guess what? It's all garbage compared to the surpassing worth of just knowing Jesus. And sharing in his sufferings. Participating in his suffering. Having fellowship with Christ Jesus. We want union with Christ when it comes to forgiveness of sin. And righteous standing before God. But do we want Jesus so much that we want to share in his experiences in this temporal earthly life? A Romanian pastor who stood up to Nicolae Ceausescu in Romania. Said these words. He said this union with Christ is the most beautiful subject in the Christian life. It means I am not a lone fighter here. I am an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten in Romania. He suffered in my body. It is not my suffering. I only had the honor to share in his sufferings. Union with Christ. We can rejoice and be glad in the midst of persecution because it is an understatement to say that we're in good company. The tradition of the prophets. The very experience of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen? Such a promise for those who are persecuted especially for a church like Early Rain, church, uh, Early Rain Covenant Church in China. Some of you may have been following this. Google it. Right? A large, influential church that was unregistered in China. All of a sudden, uh, on one Sunday evening, the, the authorities showed up, arrested 100 people, uh, took their pastors. Uh, two of their elders uh, were detained immediately and were not seen or heard of for over a year. One elder just got four years in prison. And another elder is still awaiting trial and is expected to have at least 10 years in prison for just preaching the gospel and refusing to bow the knee to the three-self movement in China. China said to them, you violated our sovereignty, but Jesus says yours is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Jesus says rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, early reign covenant church. Jesus says you're in good company. You're with the prophets. Rest assured of our union together in suffering, your union with me. So we see that those persecuted, based it on a relationship, based on their relationship with Jesus, are called blessed. Why? Because they possess God's kingdom, and they await eternal reward. And I think to myself, how do we quickly, as briefly as I can, respond to this? I think first and foremost. We want to be people who, go back to beatitude number four, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is that your hunger this morning? Is that what your heart longs for? Is that what you cry out for? Is there something else you keep scratching for in a life of discontentment? I'm just not satisfied with who I am. I'm not satisfied with our life, our house, our car, our experiences. I'm just not satisfied. And you keep scratching for something. Well, are you pers- do, you, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? I think the Beatitudes, as we wrap them up this morning, just promote that. A hunger in us. Hunger for me thirst for me, I'll give you a new heart and I'll fill you. And all of that is based on a relationship with Jesus, right? We get our fill, our satisfaction from Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you hunger for him? I think that's what these beatitudes really call us to and promote in me is a deeper hunger and thirst for eternal things, for righteousness, for a life that conforms to the will of God. That's the first thing, hunger and thirst for righteousness. The second thing I'll say is, seek to live the righteousness of Christ's kingdom. Live it out. Express it. Manifest righteousness. Again, empowered by the Spirit of God. You can't do it on your own in faith in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, seek to live this righteousness out. Let others see it. May your life, your decisions, your words, be an evangelistic lifestyle. And that righteousness will be distinct. It will be the distinctiveness of Christ's character on display in your life. And as you live that out, as others see and hear righteousness from your lips and your actions, your family, your work, as you're doing that, living evangelistically, pray that people respond to that with conversion. Because distinctiveness can draw, right? Wow, what is that? I want that. I have a new hunger in me for that. Distinctiveness draws. But understand this, that even as we pray and hope for conversion, expect persecution. Hear that. Expect to be persecuted. It's not an if issue, it's a when issue. As you live a righteous life, expect persecution. Because not only does distinctiveness draw, it also divides. It's going to be one or the other. That people are going to respond to your life. This John Piper talks a little bit about this in his message on this. He talks about people are going to respond to your life by either moving toward conversion or moving toward persecution. There's no neutrality for the Christian life. People are either responding to your life through conversion or they're, guess what, they're moving toward persecution. They're either embracing it or they're rejecting it. There's no neutral. No neutral. And if we don't have people moving toward conversion, if we don't have people moving toward persecution of us, we may call into question a little bit, have we put the light under the basket? Are people not able to see the righteousness that Christ has given to us because we're not pursuing it, we're not hungering for it, we're not looking to live a life in conformity. Is the light under the basket? He calls living Christian incognito. Because people will either respond to you through conversion or persecution. Not if, but when. And then, next, I'll just say rejoice and be glad. It's assurance. People are mad at you because, again, because of righteousness, not some weird political view. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about righteousness. It's assurance for you that you participate with Christ, that your reward is coming. That one day you will look at Jesus and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that would be my final point of application. Is that this? these beatitudes really are a call to hope. Such a hopeful passage. You shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. Because of the new reality of the kingdom. Because Jesus is king. You shall, you shall, you shall. One day you shall. Such hope. For the Christian life, for those who possess the kingdom and await such a beautiful eternal reward. Those persecuted based on their relationship with Jesus are blessed because they possess God's kingdom and they await eternal reward. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We thank you so much for this word. We thank you so much for the promise and the hope that it gives to us. We praise you that you lay out such hope for us in this Christian life. In this, in this world we have trouble, but we can take heart. Because you have overcome the world. We give you all the praise for that, King Jesus. We pray now that the Spirit of God would give us a hunger for righteousness that we would begin to live that righteousness out for others to see. We pray, God, that we would respond to persecution with joy and gladness because it gives us assurance that the world is rejecting your character in us and that we have participation with you and we are entering into the tradition of the prophets. All praise be to you for this word. May the Spirit apply it to our hearts. In Christ's name.